regrets. No doubt the sales guys probably get better pay and a higher level job. Some choices that we make that makes it a little bit tougher but tastes a little bit better. Hi, it's Holy Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organisations, and communities. Hello, Coffee Potters, and welcome to part three of our instalment in partnership with IWF, the International Women's Forum. This week's guest is Janet Ang, a phenomenal STEM leader. Janet started as a systems engineer in IBM and has been an IBM for life, rising to become the first female to lead the company as director for Singapore. And nowadays she's vice president of industry solutions, systems of engagement and smarter cities for IBM Asia Pacific, covering Australia, New Zealand, India, ASEAN and Korea. So she's responsible for helping governments and organizations improve integrate and add intelligence to systems. Fascinating stuff. As I said, prior to that, Managing Director of IBM Singapore and has had really interesting international assignments. She spent eight years based in Beijing uh, and also spent some time in Japan, again, in significant technology roles. In this conversation, we're going to get straight into the tech. We're going to be talking about the key trends that you as a leader need to have on your radar. We're going to talk about cross-cultural business, the role of faith in a business leader's life. And Janet will suggest a totally different way of thinking about that work-life balance idea. There is plenty more where that came from. So allow me now just to hand over to Janet. Janet, I wanted to ask you about your career with IBM. You've been there really for your whole life. You're the first female to lead IBM Singapore. You've had international assignments with the company across Japan and China. And really, you've been involved in the organisation through an extraordinary period of technological change. Now, many would describe IBM as a behemoth and a legacy player in that market. And we've seen across the Fortune 500 that often uh, through this period of market disruption, legacy and success have actually proved fatal. I'm really interested to know what you've learned during your time in IBM on how to drive internal innovation and respond to significant disruption. All right, is because um, you know I'm a, a lifer, IBM, right? But with the exception of four and a half years uh, when I moved to Lenovo, when IBM PCD was sold to Lenovo, I was IBM all the time. So you know, for what I have learned from IBM, I would say values. All right, that's one thing I think about leadership and about staying the course is if we are deeply and and rooted in our values, all right? And IBM values dedication to client success, innovation that matters to the world, trust and responsibility in all we do, all right? These values we carry and embody in everything we, we do, 
All right. Now, I believe that because of these values, and they, they say it with us for a long time, all right, through ups and downs and the cycles, through all the disruptions uh, in the business world and in the technology world, which actually we contribute to, because remember, innovations that matter to the world, all right, we are 107, right? IBM is 107. And I say in, in no small part is because of our values, all right? The other key one, that I, again is very much of IBM, is purpose. Our purpose is not just to make money. Yes, we have to make money so that we can be accountable and to all our stakeholders. But we have a purpose beyond that. Our purpose is to be essential. To be essential to our clients, to you know the communities, wherever we operate. And now it's actually a global community. All right. And Truly to be essential by bringing the best of IBM, right? Our talents, our technologies, and, uh, you know, speaking of our technologies, we have been on the world's number one in patents, all right, for 26 years or 25 years consecutive, you know, so many years that, you know, I mean, uh, that it really says a lot about the companies that what we can bring to be essential to our clients. And, you know, and then I guess the, Heart of it all is to be essential by building trust and being responsible, right? So values and purpose, all right, would be what I say has kept IBM on. But if you have values and purpose, but, you know, how do you execute it, right? So you've got to execute it by really having, you know, I, I being, in, being an IBMer, all right, and um, the very fact that I can articulate these values, you know, off the top of my, you know, mm. head, it says that, hey, you know, we have created a culture, right? IBMers embrace this culture and these values aligned to ourselves, right? Because otherwise, uh, you know, <laughs> we can't possibly do what we do, all right? But the important thing is the behaviours, all right? So, you know, of course, we've got many behaviours, putting client first, you know. But I, there is one that I would say is at the heart of how we ourselves ensure that we keep going and we have transformed a few times over, all right, is to be restless in our reinvention, restlessly reinvent ourselves, all right? And when we talk about restlessly reinvent ourselves, it's both at an individual level as well as at a company level, all right? Individual level says skills, all right? We've got to, we got to reskill every time, hopefully ahead of the curve. You know, we are very much into the tech, right? But we reskill and reinvent ourselves from the skills perspective, from the way we work perspective, on how we share our knowledge perspective. Because that's the only way that a, you know, a tech company can be 107. I didn't go do my full, full research, but I'm almost quite brave to say that um, I don't think there's another tech company that is quite you know, is as quite as lasting as we have been, all right? And I would say values, purpose, and, you know, ma many of the behaviours, but this one really resonates, restlessly reinvent ourselves. And I think that is one of the key things, you know, the key reasons why, you know, in this, in this whole space of tech that IBM has been able to, you know, to last, mm -hmm. all right? But if we last only for ourselves, okay, we don't last, Right. Remember what I said again, you know, we have to inno innovations that matter to the world, which means we have to share our expertise. 
All right, we have to share with our clients. We don't just sell to our clients, right? We share out with our clients and, you know, of course, earn the trust, all right, to be a partner, all right? And in so doing, yeah, the business keeps going. Jared, I wanted to ask you about your own career at IBM. You've described it as not being a piece of cake and said that core to being able to navigate it has been being disciplined and making good choices. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? For me, there will always be ups and downs, all right? And um, there are always choices to be made. Now, I'm a National University of Singapore Business School graduate. I went to university in 1978. Well, now I've given away my age, okay? <laughs> Definitely given away my age. you got to take some risks, right? But you also got to see the landscape. All right. And at that kind of a time, all right, computer science was actually, you know, I mean, really in its early phase, perhaps only just beginning. Right. But I didn't choose to do computer science. Right. I went to university and I did business school. I, I guess when I went to business school, I felt that it will give me a bigger breath. All right. So the choice of going to business school already done. So you, you, you're where you are. But by the time I was going to graduate, all right, I could definitely already read and see, uh, at least at that time within Singapore, that the government is really going to push on to move from an industrial economy to a knowledge economy. All right, so what am I going to do? Most of my classmates applied to go to banks, um, etc. I guess in financial services would be the top priority. But I felt that, hey, you know, I want to go into a tech company. All right. Even more so, perhaps that's where my mom's influence came, right? I wanted to get into a tech company like IBM to do a role that really will hone me in. All right. Really will understand first principles. All right. So that I can truly consult with my, for my clients and help my customers in the future. So I chose the role of systems engineer instead of a marketing or sales representative role. All right. And in a way, that's why it is not a piece of cake. I mean, first, first part of the tough part is a choice that I made. Right. So I would almost say my first year in IBM is as tough as my three, four years in the university. Right. Because, you know, while I brought all the business aspects of applying technology, I have to pick up everything, you know, including assembler programming. No doubt I don't have to do that for a living. But, you know, all first principles, everything from programming to database to, you know, everything technical. All right, I had to pick up within that one year and then I had to, you know, carry on into my job as a systems engineer. All right, so I would say for me, no regrets. No doubt the sales guys probably had better pay in a higher level job. I mean, from a, from a, a leveling perspective, but I chose to start as a systems engineer. All right, so when I say it's not a piece of cake, these are some of the things. It's not so much that, wow, uh, you know, life dealt me such bad blows, right? But it's really some choices that we make that makes it a little bit tougher, but tastes a little bit better. And all of us make different decisions, you know, in, in our journey. One of the things I know you're really passionate about yeah, is flexible working conditions. And I'm interested to know whether you're a proponent or a subscriber of the work-life balance philosophy and how your own career journey has shaped your attitude towards flexibility as a leader. 
Okay, right. So, in, um, you know, I'm a mother of four, right? I've got four beautiful daughters and um, I would have to say I got promoted each time. <laughs> each time I got either pregnant or after I delivered. So, you know, many people ask me, hey, why not the fifth? I say, hey, enough. You know, that cannot be the criteria for a promotion. All right. So I, I, would have, I would have to say, you know, from how to navigate, you know, this whole topic about work, and life, all right. Um, I guess the first thing, first thing is you got to be clear with yourself. I, I guess you know if if I got to boil down to it, we got to be clear of our own you know values and our own purpose and our own end in mind, or we call it a mission. All right, know our priorities so that when whatever choices come in front of us, we know how to make it. We got to communicate authentically and honestly in all the stakeholders around us because we have to believe that everybody actually, you know, we got plenty of people who love us who want to support us, and um, and that um, you know, the right decision and the right thing will come. I guess those will be the two that I say. And then last point on work-life balance. All right. Uh, you might have heard me say that, you know, I don't think it's a matter of balance. Because balance says, okay, I must spend so many hours, I must spend so many hours, right? For me, I take it well-trained by IBM, is effectiveness, you know? we got to have work-life effectiveness. That means you do the things to be effective, not just to be balanced, all right? And what whichever part of you know, time that I'm actually spending uh, with family or with work, give it 110%. Many will bring their work home. Work meaning in their mind and everything else home, all right? And bring their home challenges to the work because you did not exactly lined up, you know, to the effectiveness principle that I say. So you will feel the guilt here, you will feel the guilt there. And gosh, you know, we're actually suboptimal. And if you're not happy and you're suboptimal and you go down the guilt trip, you're not going to be productive. Not going to be productive means you're probably not going to do very well on either side of it. And you're probably going to, you know, either put some blame on one side or the other. All right. And I always say, try not to do that. I cannot guarantee that it will never happen, but try not to do that, right? But of course, I am, uh, you know, a big advocate to companies to please then create an environment and a culture that your employees can be effective, mm -hmm. which means support. So I've been very blessed because IBM is very supportive. So I can go to the parent-teacher conference without feeling guilty, I can go, I can make sure that, you know, I can leave early and be at the, you know, violin concert for this child or the, you know, uh, uh, what you might call it, the juggling performance for the other one. All right. And I got four, right? So, but I don't spend unnecessary time doing things just to be balanced. Mm -hmm. All right. And so I, I, I would say for me, that has been my that has been my principles. And if I ask my children, now that they are quite, you know, grown up, uh, you know, whether, you know, they really felt that I was missing, uh, I, I mean, they would say not really. All right, not really. I mean, I've been there for the important, important moment. Janet, one of the things I know that you did as a family was, as I mentioned earlier, you spent time on the road on significant international assignments, working in China, working in Japan, uh, always in the technology space. I'm really interested to get a sense of what your time on the road taught you uh, about doing a business effectively cross-culturally. 
Okay, all right. Yeah, those were two very um, yeah, wonderful experiences for me. And um, I guess a few things. First is we've got to go with a respect. A respect for your host country, rather the language. And in both of those countries, you know, Japan and China, I mean, English is not their first language. All right, so you go first with a respect. We don't. And the second key thing, we go with very good ears. But we got to listen. Listen, and in this case, their language. I wouldn't even dare say I know Japanese and Chinese, yes, because Chinese, you know, I mean, we all learn Chinese in Singapore as a second language. So, you know, fortunately, yes, Chinese, I'm quite fluent. But whatever it is, you know, when there is a third, you know, second or a third language, right, we got to listen. Listen means we might have to listen with the eyes, listen with the heart, and not just with the ears, right? So that you truly relate multiculturally, all right, by being authentic, you know, being empathetic, as well as being humble, all right? That is not so much that, wow, we, we, got, we, we are there on assignment because we can teach them a thing or two. It's not that. We can learn a thing or two, all right? And in fact, you've it, got to go with that kind of a, um, attitude, all right? And of course, now, you don't have to be the guy who knows how to run the technical systems, but you've got to appreciate, you know, what this whole realm of cybersecurity is all about. And therefore, what are the kinds of systems that you have to have in place in order to detect, predict, prevent, respond? And in doing business, of course, international business that cross culture, uh, you it trans, the same principles transcend, right? Um, whether it's at negotiation table, basic principles all still are the same, right? I mean, if we sincerely want to address the needs of the others, we have to listen, right? If we sincerely want to address the needs of the others, we've got to find a way to communicate our value proposition and, you know, our ideas and our thoughts. Speaking of ideas, Janet, I think a lot of people find that the tech space almost too overwhelming at the moment. We're absolutely confounded by acronyms from AI to AR to VR, you name it. Uh, There's new terminology, there's new technology for that matter. I'd love your opinion on what leaders need to have on their radar right now when it comes to significant technological trends. Right. So in a way, you've named them all. And, and if you were the business leaders who don't come from the tech world, gosh, you'll be wondering, you know, what? The, the trends are real. I mean, in terms of technology, you know, all the different aspects. But if I can boil it down to a couple of key areas, right, because business leaders have got to first recognize that the whether you call it the disruption or you call it the opportunities that these new technologies are uh, are bringing uh, into the business world and into world economies are real, all right? So they are not a fad, they are coming at us fast. If we only think of them as disruptive, all right, which is what we probably had to get everybody to think about it in the last couple of years to get some burning platform underway to get people to really begin to take these things seriously, That is one aspect because sometimes it is true, a little bit of positive, constructive stress does get us to, you know, make some action, right? But the other side is the opportunities 
that all these technologies can actually bring, you know, to help you transform your business, to help you transform the industry that you are participating in and probably even connect with other industries. So some of the key, I would say a couple of key foundational technologies that um, all business leaders really, really got ought to ought to at least get into some good understanding, all right, and not say, okay, cybersecurity, let me look for the CISO, you know, which is the CISO, the Chief Security Officer, all right, those days are a little bit gone, all right, when that something happens, something bad happens in terms of a hack, I start with security, all right, and then the other areas would be cloud, all right, Cloud is another one, lower the entry barrier, all right, for businesses, even for startups and small businesses to get into leveraging the capabilities of these technologies. Because cloud is both a technology that enables uh, a secure and shared environment infrastructure that reduces the cost for entry, but it also gives the opportunity whereby across borders, you know, and the world can be your marketplace. Enterprises, you've got to recognize that the infrastructure that you're going to run on is going to be hybrid, all right? Public cloud, some data will be private cloud, some data will be still on your on-prem service, right? How are you going to be able to move data any to any amongst these infrastructures and still ensure that, um, you know, it's secure and that um, your enterprise objectives remain whole, right? So you've got to know how to manage, I mean, how your technical guys are actually deciding and managing such environments. But I would almost say the most, most, most important is data. All right. Ah, now this one comes closer to the business. All right. All business leaders must have been working on data <laughs> from the first day they started. How can you make sense out of all this data to create insights that can help you create products that better serve your clients, better inform your decisions, better have a better sensing of the, you know, the situations around you or the markets around you, right? So this whole data is very, very precious to the enterprise. And um, I guess it is a hot topic that you enterprise do need to know that you own the data that you have spent so much energy, you know, to create and to, you know, to keep. And how do you unleash the power of that data? And you do that with cognitive systems, or some people call artificial intelligence, and then, of course, you have analytics, all right? And in this whole realm is really, I mean, the trend is really going towards systems that can understand the data, reason, and learn, mm -hmm. all right? It's the new URL, all right? Understand, reason, and learn. So, so this space is, you know, is exciting because then you're going to have all kinds of other, you know, devices, uh, whether it's drones, whether it's augmented reality, whether it's virtual reality, all of those other adjacent technologies that are going to come in and help us mm -hmm. make sense of that data and help us to create the insights that can better inform our decisions and, you know, create better products. Well, I feel people will have learned a lot from that answer. Thank you for that very thorough response. I wanted to take the conversation in a completely different direction. I've seen that you've spoken quite publicly 
about the role that faith has played in guiding your own career. And I'm interested to understand the significance of faith in your own journey. Yes. Well, for me, you know, I believe, uh, you know, I've been brought up as a Catholic in a convent. All right, so you can see my influences are there, right? But um, I guess the key thing is I, I have a role model. She's Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And um, she has something that she said that, you know, struck me and I carried with me for a lot. And that is, you know, God did not call me to be successful. God called me to be faithful. All right. And um, faithful is not just being the holy, holy religious sense, but faithful in all that I do, faithful in the roles and the responsibilities that I've been charged with, right? And therefore, you know, for me personally, I find that, you know, my conversations with my God, all right, conversations uh, in making decisions, all right, faith plays a big part, right? Because I believe that, um, you know, as I see the situations, which is very often secular, but we've got to see it with, you know, more faithful eyes, all right? And um, you've got to judge situations or discern and reflect situations. Uh, again, you know, we can do it, you know, in a normal, you know, pragmatic way, or do we see it with, you know, with eyes of faith, all right? And therefore, also the actions and the choices I make, right? So for me personally, you know, this this method of see, judge, act, or see, reflect, act, um, review, which is what we call review of life, uh, has been a very valuable uh, toolkit. And you see, with this toolkit, frankly speaking, anyone can use this toolkit, right? Because it depends on what are the values you're reflecting against, what are the you know, principles that you're reflecting against. And for me, you know, I have my extra, right? So in that sense, you know, I truly believe, you know, that I need to be faithful, uh, you know, in all of my roles and it has done me well, right? And taking to a broader perspective, uh, you know, we are all spiritual beings, right? So whether we have actually a religion or not, we are spiritual beings. And I think there is an increasing, it is encouraging to see that there's an increasing understanding or a, a, a hunger by, you know, everywhere of people wanting to, understand a bit more about what it is to be spiritual. Again, not holy, holy, but just being spiritual is to be getting in touch with our inner core and understanding deeply inside us that, um, you know, we are not robots, right? That makes a big difference between human beings and robots, right? Is that we have this spiritual side of us that guides us in our thinking and guides us in our perspectives and hopefully guides us in our decisions. For me, you know, just like in physical exercises, you know, I've got to keep fit, you know, we've got to keep our spiritual, um, uh, you know, uh, health fit as well. Faith must finally transcend, you know, into action, right? And it's not all about me, but it's also about others and about the community. I really love that piece about faith needing to transcend into action. Thank you for sharing so openly and honestly about the role faith has played. I know it's something very personal to you and I appreciate uh, you being willing to share that with our listeners. I've got two final questions before we finish. The first is, what's the best bit of career advice that you could give to our listeners? 
<laughs> yeah, so I just did it, right? To be successful, you know, to be is to be faithful, right? So know what are your roles, know what, know what you, you know, what is important to you, you know, know what, you know, really is your individual purpose, all right, in life and your mission, so that your priorities of what you're going to choose will all flow, right? And if, we, and if we do that, I believe we will be firstly happy, all right? Because success is in the eyes of the beholder and success is, you know, I mean, uh, whatever. It doesn't mean, you know, the hawker in the street is any less successful than us in the corporate office, right? Because, you know, it's, it's also about, you know, fully being fully human and um, fully alive, all right, in whatever state we are. That's the beauty of the world, right? That is made up of, um, yeah, everybody to create that colourful, diverse diversity that brings out so much uh, that what creation is really calling forth. Brilliant advice. And finally, can I ask, if you could leave our listeners with a call to action, what would it be? So I would say for the listeners who are leaders, the call to action is, yeah, we got to be bigger than life. We got to be bigger than our role. All right. That, um, you know, we have been blessed with so much. All right. A lot more than, you know, um, others who did not ask to have less. All right. And that we should figure in whatever way we can to do something about it, whether it's a divide, whether it's, um, you know, trying to make the environment better or whether it's, um, you know, trying to help women advance, you know, because there is so much that we can do as leaders. Right? So that is, I guess, the call to action. It will be different for everybody, but, um, you know, if we can um, recognize that we have been so well uh, blessed, that um, I think giving, giving, unleashing our voice and doing something about it. Janet, thank you so much for spending the time with us here at Coffee Pods. I enormously appreciate uh, having the opportunity to speak with you today. You've been so wonderfully generous with your own personal story, career advice, and the insight that you've got at the helm of IBN Singapore into the way that technology is shaping our communities and certainly the future of business. Thank you for spending the time with us. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me. Oh, <laughs>